hey, you know what I believe? I believe every single person can make a difference and that we all have something amazing to offer the world. I believe in standing up for what matters and in putting one foot in front of the other. I believe courage is way more important than confidence and I'm addicted to seeing people break through what they once thought they couldn't. And that's why I started this podcast. I want you to believe in yourself. I want you to know that anything's possible. I want you to find the courage to stand up and do your thing. Everything's waiting for you. You just have to believe it's possible. I'm Karen Vaughan. This is the Get Off The Bench podcast. And here is where your courageous life starts. Hey guys, and welcome back to another week of the Get Off The Bench podcast. Wow, we have had so many great guests and I'm so excited today. I've got Dr. Ash Pachuri from India and he is doing some amazing stuff. But before I get to him, I want to thank you for joining me every week. And it's just every week I get new people say to me, I love that podcast. I love this podcast and people that I don't even know are listening and I so appreciate it. So I really hope that you're enjoying the journey and I really hope that you're enjoying the guests and I'm trying to bring you people from all different works, walks of life that are doing amazing things and they have gotten off the bench and I really hope it inspires you. But today, as I said, I've got Dr. Ash Pachuri with me. Now, Ash is the president and founder of the Centre for Human Progress in India, which he founded in 2009 with the aim to improve the quality of life of individuals and societies by supporting, promoting and encouraging healthy behaviour and human rights. He's also co-founded with and inspired by his late father, R.K. Pachuri, two global organisations, and they are Protect Our Planet Movement, or the POP Movement, and the World Sustainable Development Forum. Now, the POP Movement's aim is to empower youth to play a a role, well, an active role, in addressing issues of climate change faced by our planet, And the World Sustainable Development Forum aims to mobilise global action for the effective implementation of both the Paris Agreement on Climate Change and the Sustainable Development Goals adopted by the UN General Assembly. That's quite big, isn't it? Now, with a PhD in Decision Behaviour and a Master's Degree in International Management, Dr. Pachuri has contributed to several initiatives in the field of HIV prevention, sexual and reproductive health and rights, health and rights and sustainability. As a master trainer in behavior change communications and strategic leadership, Dr. Pachuri has led over 20,000 workshops, events and activities globally to outreach youth and communities to promote health and sustainable development. Wow, he's putting me to shame there. I've got a bit of catching up to do. As well as his academic work being widely published and celebrated, Dr. Pachuri has also been recognised by the United Nations for his dedication and leadership. He's a valuable member on many, many advisory groups and several organisations worldwide. Wow, I'm exhausted reading all that. Welcome, Dr. Ash Pachuri. <laughs> Thank you so much. That was a very generous introduction. I, I appreciate it. But um, yeah, I'm kind of learning as I as I go, to be totally honest. Thank you. Oh, it's my pleasure. I love introductions and I love to, you know, make them all exciting. And 
And uh, so now I, I do I did introduce you as Doctor Ashpachuri, but I'm I'm just going to call you Ash because you and I have been friends Please. for so long. And Ash, you are just one of the most wonderful human beings. You're just doing so much for this planet and for the youth, and you know, getting them activated and motivated and you know just showing them to care about the planet because we if we don't do well as you're going to share I'm sure in this interview if we don't get our butts into gear you know the planet's going to suffer significantly so you're doing amazing stuff thank you for your very kind words Karen um I I you know I feel so grateful and blessed um for our friendship and um uh, I just want to say that uh, the the love and respect is so mutual, and I think one of the one of the reasons we have developed this deep bond and connection is because of a lot a lot of our values are so similar. Yeah. And I um, and I know you stand for um, for exactly the same thing for the for the love and preservation of all all beings and all species, which. Uh, which is such an important thing for us to focus on. So thank you so much. Oh, my absolute pleasure. Um, I didn't even know. Now, we have been mates for a long time and I, we've been working on all the climate change stuff together and, you know, the pop movement. But I was I didn't even know. And I just found out something new about you, um, you know, preparing for this interview that in 2009 you founded the Center for Human Progress and I didn't even know about that and this just shows how humble you are you know I had to almost extract this information from you pin you down and pull it out you know because I just never knew about it it's amazing work amazing work yeah thank you um yeah um actually um yeah the center the center for human progress um is hopefully focused on what the name uh, intends to represent. Yeah. And it's it has been uh, focused on a lot of issues around health and sustainable development. It's hard to look at any of these issues without uh, recognizing the close connectedness between you know, health and rights and development and sustainability. So um, really the center uh, of the Center for Human Progress is about um, communities and mm. all the issues that make up um, one's life um, and looking at from the point of view of the communities and then beginning to address those issues. Certainly, health and human rights has been a thrust where we're working a lot with marginalized and vulnerable communities, especially those that oftentimes are left out of responses, unfortunately, mm. uh, just because we are so used to, you know, binaries and putting people in boxes and, you know, those kinds of things. And we leave out, uh, we leave out, you know, we leave out much of the world in the process. Mm. So, um, through the Center for Human Progress, uh, what we try and do actually is flip it and work with the communities that are often left out. We work in different parts of the world. Um, I'm, I'm based in New York uh, normally. Um, so, you know, work with communities in different parts of the world, of course, now is centered around use of technology. But uh, 
usually what we do is we really spend a lot of time in the field. Mm -hmm. uh, much of my work is about spending time with communities and rather than going out and talking to communities is about listening to communities yeah. and uh, the fundamental premise of the interventions that the center for human progress is focused on is really uh, being participatory and making changes based on what communities feel the issues are and then we're listening to communities so that we can devise solutions yeah which are relevant and applicable to local context. Yeah. So it's not a typical top-down, but rather a bottom-up approach mm. because there's just no way that I could travel from, I don't know, from New York to even someplace in, in uh, California sometimes or Chicago or somewhere else and go and tell someone that this is what your problem is and this is what the solution should be. Mm. Um, that's an absolute antithesis to the way that we work. Yeah. So the idea is really to be able to understand issues in the voices of the communities and then work with them using participatory approaches and tools to arrive at solutions um, that the community themselves would be able to devise. Mm. Yep, and I, I see that we have so many people worldwide telling other people, you know, what to do. And we're particularly, you know, a lot of from white cultures, you know, sort of imposing on the, you know, developing worlds and developing countries and that type of thing. And without listening to what they what they need, it's not, not ever going to work. It has to be driven by them on the ground and, you know, so... Great work, right. great work. Well, tell us about your journey. Like, how did you how did you come to be doing all this work? And you know, I know a lot was inspired by your dad, <laughs> but you know, sort of, how did it all come about? And go back as far as you like. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Right. Thank you. Um, so it's a it's a fascinating story in some ways because. Um, I, I come from a family where, um, you know, my, my mom, my mom's side of the family, they're, they're all doctors um, and have been working in the field of development. My grandmother uh, was a doctor uh, when there were no women doctors wow. at all. Um, and so oftentimes she would get called for, for, for everything uh, because, um, they would just be more comfortable with a woman would be more comfortable with a woman. So um, I, I've sort of grown up in a family where everybody's sort of been focused on communities and, and development, uh, looking at issues of health and in my dad's case, environment and um, ecology and sustainable development. So I, I, uh, started out um, actually being the only one in the family that went a different direction. And I started working in the area of, uh, of management. And uh, I, I, I worked with uh, McKinsey and Company, which is a management consultancy firm for a while. And then I went out to, to do a PhD and uh, focused on behavior change and decision behavior, and also a little bit of use of technology and so on. Um, and I hadn't offered to go back to McKinsey and I actually, when I finished, that's what I was looking at pretty seriously. Uh, but quite by chance, um, in New York, I ended up, um, volunteering. So I, 
I used to spend time with people who were uh, working at a center. It was called the center actually uh, in New York and uh, in Manhattan. And it was working with a lot of LGBTQI communities um, and focused on rights issues for sure, but also on public health in general, looking at HIV, um, drugs, substance abuse of all kinds. And I, start, I, w- I, was, I was very interested in the work and I started volunteer. And it was a it was a coincidence. I ended up um, in the office of the the director one afternoon, and she received a call. And the call was um, to bring in a young person to to a meeting that was going to be held uh, on initiatives of the CDC. I was going to be in DC, and. Uh, uh, she was. She was. She, she. She put on the phone and she told me, "You're headed to DC this weekend," and uh, I, I was very excited. And I, I was, you know, I think to myself, "Wow, that sounds." I didn't know anything about it. Um, I, I didn't know anything about the meeting, and uh, but it all sounded very exciting. Um, got to the meeting. I ended up, uh, you know, spending time with a lot of people working with. It was focused on LGBT communities. Yeah. Ended up spending a lot of time working with. Uh, the, the, you know, during the course of the meeting, with people who were focused on this community, on these communities, and and on public health issues, and by the time I walked out of that meeting, I was made an offer for a job. Wow! Which would focus on uh, work on these uh, issues with LGBT um, and particularly minorities. So these are, uh, you know, Latin American communities and migrants yeah. uh, to the U.S. And um, I, I didn't think twice. I just somehow in my heart knew that this was something I was, I was very excited about doing. And uh, so the rest is history. I, I started working on that. And, and then I just got more and more involved with work with uh, a lot of these communities. And the more I spend time with the communities, the more I listen to their voices and the stronger my resolve. Mm. So I ended up transitioning from from a very sort of, uh, from a strong management type of scenario to a very development focused issue. And I realized that, you know, uh, sometimes we go into to communities and we start talking to them about issues of health because, you know, the CDC may be funding it or whatever the mandate may be. Yeah. But you really can go into a community and start talking about health if that's not the first most important thing to the community, you need to start talking about what it is that really matters. Mm. So if you're talking to somebody from the transgender community who is not recognized as a human being, then we need to start talking about those issues before we start talking about health or somebody from, from, uh, from the LGBT community. Otherwise that worries about their physical uh, safety because of mm. hate crime, then we need to start to address those issues first before we start talking about whatever else it is. And similarly, we spend a lot of time working with drug drivers and you may go in and you start talking about safe sex or whatever. Uh, but if the truck driver doesn't know he's going to get out alive on the other side uh, of his strip, um, then that's a bigger issue. And mm. so that's where really the approach to 
working with communities and starting to listen to voices became the most important thing because it's easy to go in there and say, okay, my job is to do this and your problem is this, but that's not really reality. Mm. And I think uh, at the end of the day, um, I would say how this whole thing happened really is I realized that I grew up in an environment where um, I had really only seen this kind of work. And, uh, and though I sort of played with other fields, ultimately found that this is really where I believe I belonged in. Mm. Really for me, I think people, people are my, my inspiration and the love for people yeah. is my inspiration. So yeah. that's how I started doing this. Wow. And I, you know, I've, I've spoken to other people on this podcast and, and a lot of things have happened to them or, you know, for them throughout their life. And they've wondered why, but in the end, it's all, all the dots have joined, you know, and they've ended up exactly where they're meant to be. Yes. And I think that happens more often than we actually realize, you know, that every step we're taking is, is heading us in the direction that we, we need to go. But I don't think we notice that often enough. You're right. I think we don't know it when it's happening, but yeah, you're right. When you look back retrospectively, it's, yeah, it's just the way it should be. Yeah. The Center for Human Progress, I was looking when you're talking about projects and, you know, when you're talking about truck drivers and that kind of stuff, I looked up, you know, like you've got quite a lot of projects going there or that you've had, you know, over the years with uh, different partnerships, art programs, my voice, you know, helping people to um, leadership through their voices, through theatre, music, like festivals. One that really, really stood out to me and I had a bit of a chuckle, but it's it's quite a serious issue, but it was done in such a wonderful way, was the Condolympics in 2010 and and you know it was humorous in a way but uh you know I like that you put the humor into it you know and you made it a fun day but it's quite a serious um issue you know with the truck drivers just you know do you want to explain that sort of scenario and why that what what happens there yeah absolutely I I I just want to say that you know when we're working with communities and we're working with several of them in different parts of the world um it's really important uh, to, as we start to uh, think of ways in which we want to communicate, oftentimes, you know, directly asking someone a question is not going to really reveal the, the outcomes. Uh, whereas, you know, if you think back on history, the moments that brought people together, collectivized them and resulted in action, uh, including, uh, you know, our civil liberties, um, is when people had stories to tell. Mm. And, um, you know, in the periods earlier, you know, people would even, for example, sit around a fire, they would tell stories, singing songs or poetry or dance or a combination. And um, so this is something that we've traditionally known to be a part of our culture, literally in different parts of the world everywhere. So uh, what we try and do is we really... uh, embed within our projects and interventions the tools for traditional tools that support communication and facilitate communication within the cultures in which we work such that they then become local and people would would tend to uh, collect, gather, share, contribute and it stimulates dialogue. 
And it's much easier for people to tell stories. I mean, mm. we've been in situations where people have broken down telling stories where they might never have spoken to anyone about those issues before in their lives. And they do it in a, they do it in a group or in a crowd sometimes merely because these tools are facilitative of communication, which is typically participatory. Wow. So the important thing in this process is really having facilitation skills. Yeah. And with the facilitation skills, you're able to bring conversation or communication up to a point where you stimulate thinking and people then start to talk. Um, typically, I would also say if you want to be truly participatory, the important thing is that for it to be acceptable, it should be someone from the community itself mm. that's doing it. So we actually train people from communities to become facilitators. Those are people who are acceptable and credible to the community. So so the communication really becomes by and for the community at the end of the day. Yeah. And we've used a number of tools, uh, what we call entertainment education. And it's a field that's recognized where you use music and dance and theater and games and, uh, uh, you know, just the whole range of things that fit within the realm of the context within which we're working. So, for example, uh, with, with a lot of truck drivers, what we found is that truck drivers uh, are on the road uh, for long hours. They have a lot of pressure. Uh, because typically the people who load their trucks and are their logistical managers put time pressure on them. So they need to drive long distances uh, and in, in very constrained time, time spans. Uh, they also um, are given time limits. So there's really little scope of stopping, resting, doing any of that. That's one of the triggers for substance abuse. They have all kinds of things that kind of stimulate them rather than depress them so that they're able to stay awake. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, we have regulations about hours when trucks are allowed on the roads and, and on the highways, which means that they also oftentimes, most often, have to drive at night. Yeah. Uh, and so all of this makes it very stressful in addition to the fact that they, of course, have to stay away from home for extended durations of time. Mm. The result was that we found that entertainment, typically games, music, um, and jokes, are a great form of uh, relaxation yeah. to, to this particular community. And so with the Condo Olympics, what we found was that when we come up with ideas for games, they were much more willing to participate. And oftentimes the games were the games were entirely sort of driven by people from allied communities, uh, such as mechanics and uh, even even helpers of truck drivers who are not on the road, who were trained to uh facilitate the games and then there were typically very small token prizes which were of relevance to truck drivers such as um you know things that they need to keep in their glove compartment mm. um, that typically they would be required to have and or need um, so it was completely uh, designed in a manner that would be supportive to the context within which drivers live and work um, and also driven by ideas that came from truck drivers themselves about what it would be that would be engaging. And so that's how the Condo Olympics came up. And uh, there were a lot of fun and games and jokes and prizes, but all uh, literally, quote unquote, driven by 
satisfy the needs of truck drivers. Mm. And when we're talking Condolimpic, we're talking about condoms, supplying condoms to truck drivers because of, um, and I was reading that in one particular uh, truck stop in India, there can be 20,000 trucks stopped at any one time. And that, that's massive. Like that, that's, that's probably beyond in Australia, like that's beyond our, we wouldn't even be able to comprehend that many trucks in a, in a one spot and and you know it's driven by the fact that a, a lot of them when they're stopping they're you know having um, having sex you know with either well another male or a transgender yeah. or a female that's there and um the the risk of aids you know hiv is just so so um prevalent that yeah. and so you making a, a Condolympics, so you know, fun and games with condoms, you know, so that it sort of it takes the stigma away from, you know, um, using them and and that sort of stuff. And it's 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 such a novel way, you know. That's why I found it I found it humorous. You know, it's it's, a, it's a, such a novel way to address the problem. And you're right. Instead of going straight to them saying, "Well, you shouldn't be," you know, "you shouldn't be doing having unprotected sex because you'll get HIV." And and you're right. Nobody will listen to that. You know, and having such a great time, um, you know, what a wonderful way to teach people and to, you know, to, to get them to take control. Um, yeah, you know, also the messages stay with them because um, typically they're done in ways that are they're fun so they're able to recollect and, you know, the messages stick. Yeah. Um, the, yeah, there is, a, there is a huge risk factor because, you know, they're on the road, they're away from home. There's a lot of unprotected sex and it's risky. Um, HIV and S- sexually transmitted infections um, are huge issues. And, uh, you know, when the truck driver stops at a halting point, like you were saying, this particular one that you were talking about mm-hmm. actually is, is uh, approximately 77 acres. Um, and in fact, now is known to have about 60,000 trucks parked there at any point in time. Oh, wow. So you can imagine the number of truck drivers and, you know, they sometimes stop, they sometimes arrive in the morning and leave at night and they're only there for a few hours. So mm. um, anything that's fun um, and informative uh, is likely to stay with them, whereas they're by then so exhausted that they really don't want anybody um, from the outside coming along to tell them and give them lectures on condom use because it's going to save their lives, especially since they have so many other problems that they deal with on a constant basis. So yeah. one has to be a little bit innovative, but we've used a number of tools and techniques. I mean, art is one area that we found, especially with a lot of our um, uh, transgender and um, gay and MSM or men who have sex with men communities has been a phenomenal um, tool. Uh, several of them are hugely, hugely artistic. And we, uh, for example, conducted some, well, we conducted workshops in different parts of the world, um, actually on a pretty serious issue with uh, WHO, which is the World Health Organization in Geneva, yeah. as we developed uh, guidelines for global government uh, dissemination on an issue of self-care, which is basically the fact that uh, the health system around the world is not robust and or strong or, or, or vast enough in terms of its reach 
to reach all communities. Uh, we're seeing that more and more now with COVID-19, as we can see, there are huge fault lines in mm. a lot of public health systems. Uh, but particular, so several people get left behind, but particularly the most vulnerable and marginalized communities do, yeah. uh, because they're the least um, reached by the formal health sector. So the area of self-care is really important. Mm. And um, as we worked on um, developing these global guidelines, we went out and worked with several communities among the most vulnerable and marginalized in different parts of the world. And uh, it was fascinating. Um, we conducted workshops in Canada and uh, in Mexico and UK and Kenya and all kinds of places. And in addition to dialogue, we really used art as the basis to stimulate dialogue on issues around their vulnerabilities. What mm. are those vulnerabilities? What are the risks? Um, and why do they not want to access the healthcare system? Stigma is, of course, a very big issue. Mm. Um, there's also a lot of abuse and violation, physical, sexual, all kinds of things. Uh, and so there's a greater dependence on self-care. But we didn't jump into those issues because you can walk into a room with uh, people you've never met before in, an, in a whole other country or even the same country mm. and then start talking to them about what the vulnerabilities are. Yeah. So we used art as a tool to stimulate. We used a lot of we used a lot of games and body mapping. It was all fun and everybody was talking, they were laughing. And then as they started to do that, issues started to emerge. Mm. And some of the most serious, sometimes very painful issues emerged. But uh, it was not hard to get into those discussions because we used tools that supported the communication, which then led to that discussion ultimately. So we've also found that it's a very facilitating tool. Um, to use music, dance, art, yeah. theater, and games. Mm. Um, again, like I said, it's it's a field that's recognized, which is called entertainment education. In fact, yeah. we conducted an international entertainment education conference with Johns Hopkins University in Baltimore and several partners from around the world a few years ago yeah. where we really uh, sort of exchanged information about interventions that are using these tools and um, they're 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 effective. Oh, I believe they're effective. That a lot of people do use them, and it's a lot of particularly storytelling. You know, through the arts is just such a wonderful way to do it. Oh, I think that's fascinating. I think you're doing some amazing stuff that I didn't even know about. I didn't even know that side of you, Ash. It was <laughs> it was a shock. I was reading it. I'm like, oh wow, I didn't know all this. <laughs> that's fantastic. But um, what I did know about was, um, you know, all your all your work with climate change. And um, so, you, tell us a bit about the. Uh, well, you founded the, the POP movement, so Protect Our Planet movement, and the World Sustainable Development Forum with, with your dad. And I'll, I'll, I want to talk about your dad in a minute because, sadly, he has left us. But, um, you know, so tell us a bit about what POP does and why you, why you two founded that. And Absolutely. Thank you. Um, yeah, Dad and I set up uh, the POP uh, or Protect Our Planet movement um, and also the World Sustainable Development Forum. Basically, it emerged out of a couple of things. One is that my, my dad had been working with the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change for 
13 years before that. And certainly, um, you know, the role of global governments is really, really important in addressing probably one of the biggest challenges of our time, which is climate change. But there was a huge gap area, which is that it, it's given, given that the issue is such a major threat, existential threat, and that the window of opportunity that we have is rapidly closing out on us. My dad arrived at the conclusion that there was no way to really achieve what we were out to achieve unless we had a, a real groundswell mm. and a grassroots movement which would address the issue of climate change. And he felt that the you know with 1.8 billion young people uh, between the ages of 11 and 24 in this world, there was really a very central role for youth to play. Not to mention the fact that the planet was what the generations to come would inherit. And so there was an integral stake mm. that young people had in protecting our planet. And there was born the idea of the Protect Our Planet movement. Yeah. And what I want to underscore is that, you know, while with the pop movement being a youth-centric movement, we also believe very strongly that the yeah, that the youth of the world have a critical role in propelling a multi-sectoral response. That is because young people have the ability to influence their teachers and schools and institutions within the realm of education. Mm. At home, they have the ability to affect change uh, by influencing their parents and their siblings. In neighborhoods, they have the ability to influence change uh, by um, contact and, and um, uh, exemplifying action in neighborhoods and in communities and then with their friends and their parents. And therefore, um, also, as they graduate uh, from schools and universities, no matter which field they go out and work in, they will have the ability to influence um, practices uh, which are sustainable, be it in business or government, no matter where. So, um, therefore, through the pop movement, we focus. We're focused on working with young people. Mm. We're uh, registered as a not-for-profit 501c3, which is a tax-exempt organization in New York. Um, we started the movement in 2016. It started in Mexico. Uh, and that was quite a coincidence. It was not by plan. We were invited uh, by one of our close partners called Cinema Planeta, and there you go again because it uses cinema and theater. Uh, basically, it uses film as a tool to uh, to not only raise awareness but also um, learn about actions that we can implement in our lives to address the issue of climate change. Yeah. And uh, my dad and I were invited by Cinema Planet uh, to one of its um, international festivals, which happen on an annual basis. And this was in 2016. And um, we've been in contact with them and they very quickly worked with us. Um, they were enthused by the pop movement and very quickly worked with us to mobilize a whole range of stakeholders from government to business to educational institutions and not-for-profits and academics um, and literally every walk of life to um, 
schedule a launch event for the pop movement. So the pop movement was launched in Mexico on Earth Day, which is April 22, 2016. Since then, we have um, spread and are currently working in close to 60 countries. Um, we have partners uh, from across every sphere, uh, including academia, um, business, profit, not-for-profit, uh, networks, uh, governments, state, local, and uh, national, federal, uh, in different parts of the world. And we have about 300 plus partners. And so far, our reach to youth around the world is about 1.2 million young people. Wow. What I want to say is that we uh, believe very strongly in our tagline, which is called, which says, uh, the pop movement is youth inspired by knowledge. Yeah. And that is actually a founding basis for what we do because the idea is that we use the science of climate change as the fundamental basis for generating and supporting knowledge, um, the spread of knowledge among youth, uh, which would then drive action and mm. innovation. And an important part of this is really building consciousness around sustainable living and the yeah. choices that young people make about the products that they buy, uh, you know, what they wear, what they eat, uh, and how they live. And um, the only way we can really begin to address this issue is by beginning to um, create the groundswell yeah. where youth are able to exemplify and also amplify their voices, exemplify mm. through action and then amplify their voices yeah. about uh, the need for change around all of these issues. And while we know that climate change is indeed um, one of the biggest threats of our time, what we focus on is the fact that we have a small window of opportunity yeah. to make a change. And therefore it is that hope and so our approach in the pop movement is also one that's positive, it's optimistic, it's hopeful. Yeah. And uh, we, we keep our eyes on that window of opportunity where we can make the change. Yes, of course, we do need to mitigate and adapt. Uh, you know, there are some things that we do need to think about adapting to, for example. But at the end of the day, um, we, we have a chance. And uh, so we really want to be able to outreach to as many young people around the world as we possibly can mm. um, so that this becomes a culture. Yeah. Wow. And then the window you're talking about is only like 10 to 12 years, isn't it? Something small like that. Yes, it is. It's a very small window of opportunity. And in fact, it looks like, uh, you know, it may, it may be even smaller now based on some of the, some of the data and statistics we've been following. Uh, over the course of even even the month of July this year. Yeah. But certainly in 2018, we were told that that window is no more than 10 to 12 years. So mm. we're talking about a decade. Yeah. But um, again, we've got a very large young population in this world. And um, there is, um, and again, I think we need all stakeholders on board. Yeah. So what we really believe in is that we all need to come on board. We all have a role to play. Yeah. Uh, 
Uh, oftentimes, to be totally honest, uh, there are two issues we found. One is that either people don't quite understand what the issue is, so education is really important. The other is to actually give people uh, tangible ideas for what they can do, because there's a lot of people who who know that there is a problem, but they also want to switch off from the problem because they don't understand what they need to do. Yeah. And um, and that's human nature, you know, when, when we don't know what to do, there's a fear element, and there's a fear element that we switch off. So um, the important thing is to build on the fact that, yes, it's very urgent, we need to do it now, mm. but there is an opportunity, and um, we need to understand what the issue is, and therefore... A lot of our work is really about educating people and also mentoring them Mm. Um, because these are projects that young people are leading and we want to be able to mentor those projects. And then finally, there's another important element of this, which is where the movement really happens, Mm. which is to network young people. And so we have events and activities and initiatives and festivals which bring people together and we call it festival because we really uh, want to do this in a celebratory manner where people are able to use creative and interactive tools for communication, storytelling, like you were talking about, using music and a whole range of other things where they can showcase what they're doing, um, network and learn from each other. Mm. So we have an annual festival which takes place uh, usually in the fall, but uh, this year... Uh, because because things are off uh, are online. Yeah. We're scheduling it a little bit later. Yeah. And um, uh, likely to host our next event at the end of this year. Mm. Yeah, and that's that is another uh, a festival event. Yeah, yeah, that's an, another issue, isn't it? It's like um, because of coronavirus or COVID nineteen, you know, a lot of places have had to either cancel events or you know find a way to take them online, and you know, it's it's challenging, but um, it's great that it can still go ahead. Really great. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, COVID nineteen is is one more manifestation of what uh, human action can do and what the ramifications could be. Mm. And uh, the truth of the matter is that we have a lot of uh, yes, COVID-19 is definitely a pandemic we're all very concerned about, but we have a lot of parallel pandemics happening uh, with with COVID-19, including um, huge human rights issues, uh, starvation. There are a lot of people who are dying of hunger, yeah. um, uh, even more than we have dying of COVID. And uh, so there are a number of fault lines, I think, in society, which become visible and apparent when we, uh, you know, when we face an extreme crisis like the one we're in the midst of right now. Mm. Um, not to mention the issue of unrest, uh, which is also not only an outcome of pandemics, uh, but also of uh, climate change. And uh, the truth of the matter is that we we are. We have entered what is called the pandemic era, and it's been uh, it is a consequence of human action ultimately. Yeah. Um, so uh, it's I hope what will be a, a wake up call, mm. um, and that we're able um, not only join hands and develop concerted action, but also begin to look at alternative ways of living. And we've realized through the COVID pandemic that you know we can actually limit limit a lot of uh, 
the carbon emissions that we generate through um, travel and transport, which is a very major sector that contributes to emissions globally mm. because we're able to do things uh, virtually. And you're right. I mean, it comes with its challenges. So we're learning. But I have to say with the pop movement, the one thing that has happened is that we've been able to also outreach to many more young people uh, than we perhaps would have been able to do in a physical geography, merely because virtually we're able to connect with many more folks. But uh, again, uh, virtual does not uh, replace, uh, you know, face-to-face connections. And as human beings, we need that. So I totally agree with you. Yeah. It's been good for us because, you know, we've been planning for a long time, you know, how can I do some workshops at your festivals and stuff yes. and, and, and haven't been able to get there. But and right. suddenly now we've, we've <laughs> well, hang on, why don't we do them by Zoom? And, you know, so it's it's been a blessing for us. And, um, you know, so I, I guess you've got to look for the, you know, the silver lining in yeah. every cloud, yeah. don't you? It's, um, and, and, and life's never perfect. Um, it's just, it's really about how you know how you make the most of situations and absolutely absolutely and this is a case in point karen you're absolutely right i mean we've been talking about this for so long and uh you know i know you would have been uh in the u.s i would have been in new york we might have met but i don't think we would have been able to think about some of the things we're doing now and so you're absolutely right there's a silver lining and um, in that sense i think there's a greater connectedness and uh, it is most certainly an opportunity for us to tap into Mm. Um, and on the issue of you know greenhouse gas emissions and things like that I know even with uh, the the multiple lockdowns and we're seeing places going to second rounds of lockdown now um, we're still not we're still not anywhere near what we would need to do to limit our uh, global temperature increases um, to 1.5 degrees centigrade below, um, you know, in pre-industrial periods. Mm. So we've still got a very long way to go, but certainly, um, you know, there are some opportunities. And so I'm yeah. uh, grateful for the fact that we're able to persist with our, with our work. But uh, the truth of the matter is that while I know a lot of people have said that with the lockdown, uh, you know, CO2 emissions are a lower, certainly they are. Mm. But um, if you consider the, the market, which we need to be in order to limit global temperature rise, we're still, uh, we would need to have lockdown for close to a decade in order to wow. be able to, to, to achieve. Wow. So um, there's lots for us to do. There certainly is. And I think you're right when you said before, um, you know, people don't know what to do. do you, I think that's a real issue yes. because I think unless you really, really research it or that you're working closely with somebody or that if you're in the game, it's hard to, you know, you, you hear all the words climate change, greenhouse emissions, global warming, you know, you, you know, you hear all these words, you know, rising oceans and you kind of put them all in one bucket, but um, without really knowing what they all exactly mean do you you know and then then you kind of look at it and it's like well I I don't know what I can do like that's just all too big I can't stop the oceans do you know I can't stop all the big industries and I think that um, as individuals people become uh, 
I'm not going to say complacent because I think people care, but I think they almost bury their heads in the sand and say there's uh, there's nothing I can do about it. And and unless we all try to find something to do about it, you know, um, which I still don't have the answers. Do you, you know? I'm saying this, but I still don't know what to do. And and my my way of contributing, my biggest way of contributing is to help people like you to mobilize youth so they can do more. <laughs> you know, I think that, you know, we've got to look at, well, what do I have yeah. and how can I, how can I use that in the, in the best and most effective way possible um, to contribute to the solution? And it's, it's a big one and it's a really, it's a hard one. And it's it saddens me a lot that we knew about this. You know, I, you know when the um, the convention happened. You know, in nineteen ninety two, they were talking about it. You know, we've got a problem with climate change. We need to do something, yeah. and and still, you know, still it took until you know two thousand and fifteen, like nearly twenty years later, or no more than twenty years later, to come up with the the Paris Agreement. You know, everybody sat pretty much idle for all that time, and imagine if Imagine if when that was first identified, you know, everyone went, wow, we better get onto this now. And it's, it, it's disappointing, but we can't, we can't go back and change history. We've got to uh, just be a little bit more focused going forward. But it's, it's a hard one. And I don't think people realise uh, the severity, you know, of, of inaction. But there are people. There are good people doing things. It's just it's just trying to get um, as many people on board right. as possible, as yeah. quickly as possible. But just speaking about all this too, the you also um, uh, founded the World Sustainable Development Forum, and that was to sort of combine, you know, the sustainability development goals from the UN and also the Paris Agreement. And I, I guess your thoughts. What I've what I understand is your reason for founding that and for developing that was so that people would stop talking and and there was a forum to start putting things into action is that did, am i understanding that correctly uh yes absolutely right and again uh this is another uh, uh 501c3 which is a tax exempt not for profit in the us and we set this up uh with the idea that we would uh, really be able to focus on the sustain, uh, sustainable development goals and in particular sustainable development goals focused on climate change and that we would move beyond dialogue to really taking action and um, actually the way that we look at the World Sustainable Development Forum or the WSDF as we call it is really as um, the other you know the flip side of, of the same coin uh, and sister organization of the pop movement because um, this is really focused on bringing leadership uh, together from around the world and from literally every sector and um, certainly government, uh, state and federal, uh, local and academics and businesses. So literally and entertainment. So we look at like uh, leadership across different spheres coming together to really deliberate about actionable strategies to address this issue and to do so urgently. Um, mm. And we believe really strongly that um, if you take an example, take the example of uh, the US, for example, uh, you know, creating that resolve at the state level and at the local level is really critical in, in terms of enabling 
the change that we need to make and and to make it urgently. Mm. Um, and therefore, you know, working with local leadership is really really important. Um, what we what we do is we host uh, we host annual global meetings where we come together, usually in a physical space. Uh, we did manage to have our annual global meeting before the lockdown this year. Yeah. Uh, so it was before COVID really struck the way that it has. Uh, so, uh, you know, um, normally it's in a physical space, but we have regional meetings as well. And the uh, fundamental premise of this really is about focusing on coming up with actionable strategies and then pursuing them. So we don't want to sort of just meet, have a meeting, uh, annual, global or regional, mm-hmm. uh, and talk about issues and then walk away and then continue with our lives just the way they were. Yeah. The idea is really to be able to pursue those goals and to be able to take action on the ground to be able to affect change. So our goal, for example, from the 2020 annual global meeting was we came up with a Durango declaration. Our meeting took place in Durango. Um, So we came up with a Durango declaration, which outlines a range of issues from addressing issues of of plastic uh, to sea level rise to, uh, you know, the whole gamut of issues that emerged in the course of the deliberations. Mm. And we've been systematically working to action those along with our partners and our um, patrons, um, our board and participants of the and you know uh, the community at large that works with the pop uh, with the with the WSDF yeah. and the pop movement has a very central role to play. Uh, we 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 consider youth as leaders of today and of tomorrow. Mm. So um, you know, with for example, the sessions scheduled. Uh, over the two and a half days that we spent together in the 2020 annual global meeting, every panel, uh, uh, you know, consisted of either heads of states and governments, uh, businesses, uh, the United Nations, and others. And we had young panelists on every single panel, mm. followed by a finale, um, which was a youth-led session called the Youth Quake, where young people um, take lead entirely in that. In that, so so the two organizations work together very closely, but we believe we need to we need to urgently address these issues and have a multi-tiered, multi-stakeholder approach to doing it. Yeah. And so the WSDF is a very important forum in making this happen. Of which, again, uh, like with the pop movement, science and uh, research and knowledge are a very critical mm. um, element. Uh, which drives um, not only uh, discussion and dialogue, but also policy and um, analysis based on facts and on research. So the two work together. Mm, and wonderfully too. And you're not playing, uh, you're not playing small games here. Uh, your patrons and your board members, you know, are uh, like ex-prime ministers and presidents and you know, some current prime ministers from all around the world. And you've got Leonardo DiCaprio on board as well. So you've you've really got some um, extraordinarily influential people, you know, in your court. Well, it's mind blowing, actually, Do you know, you know, who's involved with this. It's it's incredible. Uh, thank you. Actually, actually, you know, um, before the WSDF took its after uh, uh, as a as a WSDF, um, my, my dad had been hosting um, meetings 
uh, of similar nature um, with several of several of the same people over the course of uh, several several years before WSD was formally registered. Uh, and so in a sense, it was a natural progression and continuation of what he had uh, he had built. And um, yeah, yeah, I think that is really important for us to pick up um, and really push yeah. this uh, the work of the forum forward because like you said, unless we have the commitment, uh, to action of global leaders, it's going to be very difficult for us to achieve what we've set out to achieve, especially in this time. Yeah, I agree. And speaking of your your dad, I mean, he was um, a widely acclaimed spokesperson and academic in the you know in the field of climate change. Well, among many other things, and and notably, he was the chairman of the intergovernmental panel on climate change, so the IPCC, which was awarded the Nobel Prize during his tenure. So he's certainly, when you say, you know, my dad was working with these people, he, he wasn't just an ordinary dad, you know, he was um, a, a, a giant, you know, in the in the climate change field and an incredible man. And, you know, sadly, he he did leave leave the planet earlier this year and it's been a really you know it's been a struggle for you but um because you've worked solidly beside him for so many years you know and you two have made um an incredible team an incredibly impactful team and so you know now that he's gone like is this caused you you know struggle or conflict in finding the strength to continue with all these incredible things or or has it created more of a determination to keep his legacy alive? Yeah, I, I would say um, it's a, it's much more of the latter than the former, although I can't deny that there, there are elements of the former, and I'll tell you about them. Um, but, you know, I saw my dad as a person of tremendous commitment and uh, vision and uh, very, very strong uh, drive and uh, I would see how no matter what the no matter what the barriers the, the limitations the constraints my dad would push forward um, so I think to honor his his vision and his work and his legacy uh, the work has to continue um, we both felt very strongly about the work and I do believe we only do have a very small window of opportunity. We've built up a lot of momentum and we now need to build it up even, even more than we did before. Um, so I do feel very um, determined to take forward the work of the pop movement and the WSDF with greater gusto than ever, ever before. Mm. Um, at the same time, it would not be honest to say that it isn't without its challenges. Um, the most challenging has been that I don't think there was a day in my life or a decision in my life that I didn't make um, related to our work together with, in consultation with my dad. We talked about everything. He would discuss every decision and detail with me, and, and it was very mutual. Uh, we, we, did that. we did that no matter where in the world the two of us were. We use uh, the phone and WhatsApp and Skype and email, but we constantly talked about everything. So that's a that's a tremendous uh, 
vacuum that I uh, that I'm experiencing. Mm. Sometimes I talk to him in my head and I do that, but I yeah, it's it's not it's not it has not been easy. Mm. But um, like I said again, the most important thing is to push forward. I know this is what he would have wanted and this is what he would have done. And uh, yeah, we started this together, so we're gonna make this happen. And uh, so the pop movement, in fact, has, uh, as is WSDF, actually in some ways way more active than we've been any time in the last four years. Um, wow. Just in the last some months, we've added many more countries to the countries uh, and uh, also young people that we're working with. And we've been doing a lot more work than we've done you know, in the, even 2019, 18 or 17 or whatever. So, so there's been uh, much more work and I think we need to keep it going. Yeah. So yeah, that's where it's at. Yeah. It's, it's really tough. And particularly if you've been on a daily, you know, speaking to each other daily and then it just drops off and it's, um, it's hard. It's really hard when you lose somebody so close. But um, I think that that legacy thing is, it's so critical. It's not just that. It's not the just that you know. Uh, we've got a small window of time, and that this work is really important. It's also that you're carrying the love of him and the power of him, you know, you know, with you all the time. And it's um, there's nothing more. I don't think there's anything more rewarding, you know, than following in following on somebody's legacy. You know, I think that's a really powerful thing that gets you up every morning and you know, helps drive you forward. And it's, yeah, you certainly, well, you've got big shoes to fill, haven't you? <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't think I'll ever be able to, uh, you know, fit in his shoes, but I can only say that I do agree with you. My, my dad used to always tell me when the going gets stuff, the tough get going. And yes, um, you know, he and I spoke from the moment we woke up to the moment we slept. Um, Literally, I don't even know, sometimes countless numbers of time. And if we were together physically, uh, we would spend hours talking. But, uh, you know, even on, on the phone and wherever. Um, so, yeah, I do. I do. I, I miss that very much. But I know, um, yeah, there'll probably be some decisions, you know, um, I, I have to make on my, I, I am having to make now. Um, and some might be better than others, but the important thing is that we keep moving forward, that we've got to uh, honor his, his, his vision and work and, and his legacy and keep it alive. And there's no stopping. We're, we're moving ahead and we've just got to make it happen. Yep. And some days are going to be harder than others. And that's just, that's just, well, they're the days you've got to be tough, yes. aren't they? Yes. Yes. Yeah. That is true. Oh well, it's it's really, really sad, but um, it's just it's wonderful that you you know it's it gives you the power to keep to keep moving. But um, now on a lighter note, because that yes. that's you know it hurts my heart, it hurts your heart even more, you know. But um, on a lighter note, this um podcast is about getting off the bench, and you know you have gotten off the bench in you know. <laughs> extraordinary ways and and people don't have to get off the bench in such such big ways as what you've done even the smallest little projects can really make a difference but what advice would you give to somebody wanting to get started with their own business or side hustle or um a personal goal or a community project what sure. what's your main piece of advice sure um 
Uh, yeah, I mean, um, thank you again for your kind words. I just want to say that, you know, um, yeah, I mean, I'm learning as I'm going and um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's been, it's been a great experience and there's lots more to do, but I'm going to say to anyone who is at a point where they have an idea for an initiative or a project or an enterprise or whatever it may be, I'm, I'm going to say that if you have a thought and you want to do it, the most important thing is that you've got to get started. Um, yeah. I think that oftentimes we guys are our own barriers um, and we hesitate and it's really a mindset issue. So we're kind of limited by what's between our ears and we uh, tell ourselves that, oh, you know, how, how can I do it? And why would I be the one to succeed? Or yeah. uh, I think the important thing is, uh, you know, to get up and make the plunge. Yeah. So if you've got an idea, um, you've, got an, you've got a project and you feel, uh, you know, inspired to do something, I'm going to say start making, start making baby steps and, and, and get up and start doing it. And you'll be surprised that, you know, when you start doing it, um, <laughs> you know, you'll probably way surpass anything that you might have thought you'd even be able to do, um, yep. likely way surpass it. But I think the most important thing is to really get up and take that first step forward. Yeah. Oftentimes that's our our biggest barrier and we get left with ideas that we don't really implement, even though they could be ideas that could certainly change our lives and the lives of those around us and possibly even the world. Mm. So go for it. I agree. That first step is... And once you take that first step and, you know, the world doesn't fall apart, it's kind of like, oh, yes. now I might take the next step, you know, and it gets gets really exciting. I, you know, with, with my workshops, I always try to encourage, you know, identifying what is that first step and just starting, do it. Do it in the next 24 hours, even if it's, even if it's turning your computer on and researching domain names or something, just do something Absolutely. because um, if you don't get going, you, you, you won't get going. Yeah. But yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. well well Ash, I have absolutely loved speaking with you and you are just um you're doing mind blowing stuff. I know I keep saying it and you're so humble that you you're saying, Oh, you know, don't know but it is, it is incredible stuff, you know, and you, you are changing the world. Um you know, if if um you can keep mobilizing people the way you are, you know, we we will have a hope but changing climate change or you know reducing it or not letting it get over the two degrees which would be an absolute um disaster if it did but you know you you're doing so such good stuff and I I am truly blessed to have you as a friend I just think that you know I'm just truly blessed to have you in my life and um so thankful that there are good people like you making such a difference in the world it's I love it so much Thank you so much, Karen. I just want to say that, you know, um, like I said before, this is so mutual. Um, I feel so deeply grateful and extremely blessed to have you as a friend and an inspiration. And I want to say that I still remember when we started out the pop movement, we were probably a few months in, I learned about your wonderful book and, uh, you know, the magnificent kids. And uh, I went wild trying to get a copy and finally, um, believe it or not, I tracked down a copy uh, on Amazon. Yeah. Uh, but they were all sold out. There was only used copies available. 
And uh, so I tried to look for one that was going to be in good condition to write it. And uh, of course, I feverishly went uh, through it and read it and everything. And my dad had been waiting too. I was I was in New York and he was traveling somewhere else. And I told him in the book ride that the next time he met me, which was a few weeks later, the first thing he did was to get that book for me. And um, yeah, we actually uh, have been in touch with some of the people in the book. Yeah, uh, it was a tremendous uh, contribution to our getting off the bench in many ways. And I just want to say that uh, you know, I, 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 I'm not only deeply grateful to have you as a dear friend, but someone I deeply respect and feel inspired by. Um, and again, I want to say it's a beautiful synchronicity in our values and what we believe in in our heart, yeah. uh, driven by a lot of love and uh, mm. a genuine love. And so I just want to say thank you to you for, for being so special and being such an incredible and important part of all that we do. And I'm deeply grateful for this new, or perhaps not new, but at least an opportunity that has been identified for us to be able to start doing things without even getting to meet in person, but do <laughs> things together. And of course, I'm hugely excited about the opportunity to meet with you in person because so many miles away, um, I, I, I'm so excited to be, you know, whenever I have a chance to connect with you, but uh, meeting in person is going to be so special. But this is really incredible, and I'm really looking forward to doing lots and lots of things together with you, Karen, and thank you for being so fantastic and so incredible and inspirational. Oh, Ash, you're too, you're too kind. I'm look, 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 the feeling's mutual. I absolutely love you, and I can't wait to do more work with you, and I can't wait to meet in person. We've been saying this for years, and every time we almost get there, you know, something happens, but um, <laughs> I'm going to give you the biggest squishy hug you've ever had, and it's <laughs> and squash your insides out. <laughs> uh, uh, likewise, <laughs> likewise, a recipe for a kid all the way, and then some more. Karen, I can't wait. Thank you. <laughs> I can't wait either. Oh, well, thank you so much for joining me, Ash. This has been wonderful and so so, so enlightening and so inspiring. And, you know, it, it is a catastrophic um, topic in, in a way, but there is hope and you're showing us that there is hope. You know, if we all get together and, and create a groundswell and move forward, we, we can actually have a, have a really big impact. And so I'm so grateful for the work you do, you know, to make the world a better place it's just um we need a hundred more of you and maybe a million more of you but um that's what you're trying to do isn't it so (laughs) (laughs) thank you likewise karen many many thanks this has been absolutely incredible i've i've deeply valued and cherished every minute that we've spent together and i can't wait for more yeah so we'll start to work on that next uh, uh next workshop right after this yeah fantastic let's do that all right well thank you so much ash and um hopefully this has been great for people and um i will chat with you very very soon i can't wait beautiful thank you so much karen you take care of yourself have a wonderful rest of the day and weekend and a big 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 squishy hug from here till i get to deliver it in person (laughs) that sounds fantastic (laughs) good all right (laughs) thank you thank you so much catch you soon (laughs) thank you karen (laughs) see you soon thank you bye bye (laughs) bye Bye. 
Oh, guys, how was that? Now, look, yes, as I said, it is it is a catastrophic, dire situation. But if you know, it's as I as I was saying earlier in there that sometimes we just think it's too big, we don't know what to do, and that's true because it is a big issue and it is hard to find a way to do something. But there is hope, and it's because of people like Ash, you know, that are that have got these programs running globally to try and you know create a groundswell of people and to try and create a movement. It, you know, things can change, and there is so much hope in that. So if you're a young person or if you have you young people in your life and you know get them onto the pop movement so I'm going to put this in the show notes so you can see exactly where to find Ash but it's um, you know get them involved in the pop movement or any other climate thing but just just get them involved and get them moving and also the um, look up the sustainable development goals from the UN see if there's anything there that really catches you if you've got a project you know if you want to do a project and you're not sure what to do why not do something that's going to really propel the world forward so you can go and check out those goals and uh, see if something there grabs you but look there are so many options and so many many opportunities it's it's endless and the world needs more people to make it to make the world better you know and every single person including yourself has got something amazing within you and you know if we do this together we can absolutely make the world a, a, a much much better place but seriously don't leave that thing inside you because it's it that's not where it belongs it belongs out there for everybody to celebrate so Anyway, and we're better off to contribute to the solution than the problem. I can say that a thousand times. But anyway, back yourself, believe in yourself. You know, if you've got something you want to do, get and do it. And even if it's just a personal goal, and I'm not diminishing that, but if you do a personal goal, you get a sense of achievement and feeling success. You're going to contribute to the world anyway. So I'm going to leave it there. But thanks, guys, again for joining me. I hope you're loving this. I am loving bringing you all these people and I truly hope it's inspiring you and that's enough for me so I'll uh, thanks again and I'll catch you next week see ya hey thanks for joining me it really does mean the world to me now if you or somebody you know is doing amazing things make sure you send me an email to info at getoffthebench.com.au that's info at getoffthebench.com.au otherwise head on over to my website at kerenvaughan.com and tinker around there a bit and send me a message. Okay, catch you next week.